Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at conversationswithdwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Hello and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast and speaking of music, that song that played me in is Are You Ready, Freddy? by Kid Congo and the Pink Monkey Birds. And Kid Congo is my guest today. And if you don't know who Kid Congo is and you're listening to a music podcast, I don't know. I don't know where you've, where you've been living. <laughs> He's a pretty iconic figure in, in music, punk. He's outside of his own thing that he's created with the Pink Monkey Birds, which is incredibly awesome. Uh, he's played with the Cramps, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Gun Club. He's a founding member of the Gun Club. So, you know, he's done some things. We talk about all this, his world, his life, and some new d- things. We don't just talk about the punk rock scene. We talk about a memoir that he's working on and many other things. And it's a really great conversation. Uh, there was a piece of information that he gave to me during the podcast that I didn't know. And uh, I felt... Uh, Lousy, because <laughs> I like to research things, but uh, it's about uh, one of the artists that kind of doesn't, uh, didn't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't know everything, and God knows I don't, and uh, my wife will let you know that I don't know everything, um, but you can buy Kid Congo and the Pink Monkey Birds EP, Swing from the Chandelier, at In the Red Records, Those sh- uh, the links to that are in the show notes, and if you, if and you should buy it. Please do buy it because, um, you know, it's just streaming isn't fair until those MFers get uh, a little bit more or less greedy and pay the artists what they are owed. Streaming uh, sucks. I do it, but I buy stuff and I buy stuff probably to a problem level. But uh, I quit drinking, so I figure I could channel that money into records. (laughs) And boy, have I. Um, and speaking of In the Red Records, just for fun, Larry Hardy from the In the Red Records is going to be a guest in a couple weeks to talk about label life and that world, because I have I figured I should have, you know, a different aspect just than the musicians, and In the Red is a really hip uh, label, so. And speaking of show notes, all things Matt Dwyer, you can go to themattdwyer.com, that's a jumping off point for my social media, Patreon. Uh, uh, speaking of Patreon, if uh, this is a two-part conversation that I did with Kid Congo. Uh, we talked for almost two hours. So the first 50 minutes live here free. If you want to get the second half, you could become a Patreon subscriber and you could listen to the part two or you could watch this in entirety and you could look at our handsome faces on video. And um, and it's pretty great. And he, uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's what you get when you become a Patreon subscriber. You get bonus uh, uh, material, you get a pin with the logo, uh, blogs, all kinds of blogs, just all kinds of great stuff. So uh, go to themattdwire.com 
and 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 become a Patreon subscriber, or just follow me on Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer. You can find out who is upcoming and past guests. I've had a lot of great past guests: Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips, two of the fine ladies from the Coat Hangers, Steve Gunn. You name it, I've had them on the show, and I'm I've got as I talk, I always have uh, people in the queue waiting to become on the show. So. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and if you at least tell your friends about it. And I think that's it for me today. Uh, this is a really great conversation. It's a real honor to have someone of such status like Kid Congo on the show. I'm a big fan, and I. Uh, that's it. Enjoy the episode. <laughs> This feral mother left a kitten on our doorstep, on our patio, and <laughs> when it was about one or two days old, it was still all matted fur and eyes shut, umbilical cord and all. Wow! And so we've been we've saved it, and and it's and he's become a monster that wakes me up at six in the morning every day. <laughs> Does it like crawl in your bed and like whap you and like be like, Foo. yeah, yeah, jumps all over. You know, if that doesn't work, it'll put it really loud in your face. <laughs> if that doesn't work, I'll just start screaming. <laughs> yeah. I saw you posted something on Instagram where it was like in the bathroom window. I couldn't, I can't remember what was. Oh yeah. And he, he climbs on everything and uh, every surface. He's like, High wire act uh, <laughs> uh, athlete <laughs> so, uh, performer. It's, it's crazy it's with pets, though. Genes. Yes, it's the daredevil genes. <laughs> yeah. That's not good for glassware and things. No, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I have, so good. Yeah, we have two dogs, and they drive me crazy. But then when something happens to them, it's like the biggest tragedy on earth. But exactly. half. Half the time I'm telling him to fuck off. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, oh, he's, he's he's taken up. He's that's my. He's been our quarantine project. So, um, and and new family member he came. He came to us. Yeah, and I'm rejoicing today because this morning I was eligible to sign up and get a covid vaccine uh appointment so uh oh congrats that's a yeah, yeah they just lowered the age to um under 12 so <laughs> <laughs> that means i'm eligible i've been waiting so long um, <clears throat> is that uh yeah, that's a life changer does that mean you can plan going back out and doing more things or does that not really enter? Well, like I asked it a while. I mean, I don't think everyone else is vaccinated yet. (laughs) So, um, but plenty, plenty are. And, um, I mean, I don't know. I still don't know what it means. So, uh, especially for my line of work, you know, uh, uh, live shows you know i know agents are hopeful for later in the year you know especially in 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 uk and europe but um but i I have no idea you know is there any because because we we had a a tour a europe tour book a month-long europe tour booked for june last year and of course that by March, you know, we knew that wasn't going to happen. It got moved to April of this year, and that obviously is not happening next month. 
And uh, so now I've decided to stop expecting when it's going to be. Wasn't the, the EP supposed to come out at a different time than it did? Last June, yeah. Is that yeah, also- for, that was EP was for the uh, for the uh, June Europe tour, and then we would have continued touring you know, in the United States and everywhere else, and parts unknown. So uh, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, so we we didn't. Uh, uh, so yeah, then everything stopped. Boom, you know, and um, and and now we're uh, but you know. It's what it is. I couldn't stop it. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm not the- a mad scientist that can that could cure the world. <laughs> that's Much too bad. I like to think that's what I do does, but uh, it's not the case. But anyway, um, yeah. So so I, I'm I'm going to be patient and wait. And but I, when as soon as it happens, I'm ready to go. Has- you know, no, two people in our band are getting vaccinated, so that's good. <laughs> has has this sort of forced slowing down brought on any wisdom, or has it been a just a? Uh, I miss playing live. <laughs> <laughs> that's the wisdom I learned. So I complain about playing live, and now. I'm, <laughs> Uh, but I, um, the, the, I don't know if wisdom, God, I just, I've been incredibly busy the whole time. You know, I thought like, okay, I'm going to read all these books. I'm going to, you know, take it easy. I've, you know, obviously slowed down cause I haven't been on tour, but I've been recording a lot. I've got some, a million projects. People just kept saying, let's do this, let's do that. And I've and, uh, been like, okay, okay, okay. And then it's like, oh, ah, I have too much to do. <laughs> <laughs> and also I've uh, been, you know, finishing up. Uh, during this period last year, I finished a memoir. I've been, uh, I finally got to a final draft uh, that I've been working on for, I keep saying 12 years, but I think it's 15 years. So um, I've been picking and scratching at it and uh, learning how to write. And, uh, and it's been a long, 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 long process, but it, but it is done. So um, we don't have a release date yet or anything because it's just done now. But, uh, and also uh, every, you know, this last year has kind of put a, a, a the breaks on a lot of things so it's hard to plan you know especially printing if you have to send it overseas to print or whatever you know blah 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 but um but so that that is an accomplishment that i thought would never happen book, <laughs> i thought this is just never gonna end and it's still going on because we have to lay it out now and uh, take care of uh all of the pieces, you know, making it, but, um, but, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. And, um, and I don't think I, it's fully set in that I don't have to write anymore. For <laughs> I, I was I've I guess re- I'm standing around feeling guilty, like <laughs> I'm supposed to be writing. Cause that's all I did for the last 15 years is be guilty. Like I'm supposed to be writing right now. And then every time it got, 
you know, very personal because I did, it is the good, the bad and the internal ugly, you know, uh, of stuff. And, and every time I got really uncomfortable, I was like, Oh, I have to make a record and go on tour for a year, you know. So <laughs> music product, product, you know, productivity. So, um, but uh, but it didn't it didn't uh, but it it is done now. So I, I don't have to uh, have to I'd have to come up with some other excuse to make records and go on tour. <laughs> Pandemic. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> Uh, or I've read some of your like pieces that you've written in magazines and stuff. And I was wondering if th- there was one and I didn't write down the goddamn title cause I'm an idiot, but uh, right. it w- I think it was like, All right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your support, <laughs> but I was wondering cause I thought like the writing was incredible. And cause you said that you had to learn to write. And I think this was written around 2014 about you like being, coming out and in the punk scene and oh, all that stuff yeah, that, in the Huffington Post. Yeah. That yeah. Was, nice. was that piece a catalyst for the, or a part of the memoir or like how does, well, it ends up being part of it because that's a big event. Um, <laughs> but, uh, one of the major events, uh, but it also, also it was just something I got, uh, you know, asked commission to do it. Someone said, Write something about being gay. <laughs> okay, you know, uh, you know, and and then, uh, but then it was it was it was good. You know, I took that. I I just thought had to think about what's what is me and what is important about that aspect of me, and um, and I thought, oh, well, you know, uh, when did I? really get politicized about it, you know, because I went years of just saying like, okay, you know, I'm who I am and I'm this character, this flamboyant gay character. And, uh, but it wasn't until AIDS happened that I realized like, oh, I have to actually say I'm gay, (laughs) you know, you know, because actually, and then the whole coming out of the whole punk thing, you know, it was the whole idea of labeling yourself anything than punk you know, was totally taboo. So there was no, there was no, you know, you, you know, I was against all culture, <laughs> you know, it was being against all culture, including, you know, uh, an established gay culture. So, you know, I was like, well, I'm not a part of that, you know, and I'm, but I'm a part of this other tribe and, Fuck you! <laughs> yeah, but then, then once I got a little older, and you know, I started to realize that you know, it's a responsibility of sorts to, if you have any kind of form, to speak out. You know, how did so, how did the punk culture re- respond to that? They threw me out. I was not a punk anymore. No. I'm just <laughs> they beat me. No, uh, they. Uh, no, I mean it was fine because there were a lot of out gay punks in the first wave of punk, the first few waves of punk, you know. And there were a lot of, you know, I, I hung around the screamers, you know, whose main main people, Tommy Plenty and Tommy Gear were gay, and um, and I, you know, just a lot of. I came out of the kind of, I was, 
already a teenage kid going to the glam rock to like Rodney being in Ivy's English disco and, and, you know, in love with David Bowie and glam rock and, uh, you know, and that gave me license to be a, a rather flamboyant young man. And um, and punk, you know, came and, and and at the beginning of punk, it was very, very mixed. And a lot of gay people, a lot of uh, artists, a lot. Of, it was a super arty and weird and uh, and very different than what punk became you know it was just a collection of freaks and misfits you know how did the how did that narrative of or like the the way people view punk and especially i also think the la scene like you and i i think you've i've seen you touch upon it it was like people started focusing more on like darby crash and sort of the I don't want to say, you know, like the, yeah. uh, for lack of me being articulate, the sort of gutter yeah. punk, the what? Speaking of gay punks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is Darby Crash gay? Yes. I how do I not know this? You got, hey, read up. <laughs> <laughs> Honey. <laughs> I oh, never, <laughs> I've, I've never, like, I saw Darby Crash speaking something and he said a bunch of things that just really, uh, turned me off and i maybe i misunderstood i just heard some racial slurs to be quite honest <laughs> yeah you know i think i think his uh trip was to be offensive <laughs> yeah and that was a lot of people's you know trip you know to be as base as possible and um and and to say the worst thing that you could possibly think of to say so um yeah in in later years it didn't pan out <laughs> but it was all shock value you know and um and yeah i mean i knew darby so uh i i wasn't really super close to him or anything but uh i knew him and he was just a goofy kid too like all of us you know but uh goofy kid cult leader <laughs> <laughs> When people look back at punk, though, do you feel like they missed that more early? It, when I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, I mean, who are, yeah, I think it's still pretty, you know, it was pretty uh, celebrated, that's the word. Um, you know, you know, band like X is still going, you know, and they were, they were pretty freaky people for the time, you know, they were freaky bohemian, you know, uh, weirdos and, uh, or like, you know, I was in the, you know, when I was in the camps, I mean, there can't be a possibly a freakier, more free, uh, <laughs> more free, sexually free thinking band <laughs> than that. <laughs> and, uh, and even, you know, the gun club we played with Androgyny, me and Jeffrey Lee Pierce, you know, we played with Androgyny a lot. And, and, uh, and it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of a free for all in the beginning, but also, you know, people now, like, I like, I'm really thrilled that people, from the day that day, you know, like I'm thinking specifically about Alice Bag, and uh, you know, kind of didn't drop out, but you know, stayed underground for quite a while and did what they had to do. Or Chip Kimmon from the Dills, both people who were friends of mine back then, um, you know, and they are doing stuff that is so fresh and wonderful and 
great, you know, and it, 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 it makes me, it makes me think, well, you know, we didn't miss anything. And, and, and the, and they're staying true to their muse, you know, and, and hopefully I am too, you know, in that, in that little pocket of people from, from then. And, and, and so it, it is, uh, it's heartening to think that, you know, we've kept an ethos of, a modicum of uh, ethos <laughs> <laughs> to us ourselves. So, um, but anyway, so it's just to me, it's all free culture, you know, free thinking, free culture. It's beatnik, you know. You know, I think the first punk was quite beatnik, you know. You know, very people were reading, you know. Those people, those kids had everyone had library cards and pass books around and. <laughs> You know, everyone was reading the same things or at least had the same books on their shelves. So we're going to get to it, you know, like, you know, John Rishi or, uh, or, you know, uh, Black Sun by Harry Crosby, you know, Fitzgerald books, you know, the, you know, about, about the Fitzgerald family. You know, all of that, um, you know, Flannery O'Connor, you know, all, all of these kind of out, out, living uh you know not the beats of course but um you know people were living fast and wild you know uh, we wanted to know all about that and everyone was reading about it you know anyone i knew and uh and 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 people were movie hounds old hollywood was a big big thing in early pounds you know knowing your movies was definitely something uh and then you know underground movies like john waters and or or you know suspiria by dario argento when it came out was a revelation to the punk world in la you know you know the sets alone (laughs) (laughs) and the music you know and then i was hanging around with the screamers who were a couple of years older than I was. And um and they came and they came from uh they came from a background of, you know, underground New York underground uh drag and theater and um uh theater of the absurd and you know we're on the early CBGB's scene and um you know when the Ramones Blondie first came around they were all friends with Tomato and Gorilla Rose and people are associated with the Screamers. And so um, that just was all one big melting pot, one big uh, banner of things going on, you know. And I I don't know who knew that. I knew that because I was hanging out with them. (laughs) And and that was my interest. But, um, But I don't know how many people know that. You know how many people you know take that? I think you know the the that book though. We got the neutron bomb, that oral history book. That they got a quite a good taste of what was going on, and um, but uh, you know everyone has different stories. And if are you in L.A.? I Where? I live outside L.A. now, but I lived in L.A. proper for LA 20, 20 years. You're in California. Southern California, Northern California. Southern. I, well, I grew up in Chicago, and then uh, I, I've moved here like right after 9-11 from New York. Yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, but anyway, uh, so L.A. was very much like, yeah, influenced by L.A., 
you know, that punk scene. You know, so Hollywood was a big, big thing. And, uh, you know, old Hollywood. And, um, yeah, there was just so many influences going on. But also, you, I was going to, oh, this is what I was getting to. <laughs> I mean, it was getting to some point, but, uh, you know, in LA, everyone is kind of, there's a lot of factions and everyone is very together. And then everyone is very separate too, because of the, just the proximity, the not close proximity of a lot of things in LA. So different parts of LA had a lot of different facets to where their underground taste came from or, or what their, you know, view of, of being an outsider was. And, um, and so, uh, so, so there was just a lot going on, a lot of different things going on, and that's what made it a beautiful thing. Yeah, does it seem in today, like <clears throat> it was able to stay within its own world? Because today, like if a scene breaks out, it's like suddenly it's everywhere and everyone mm-hmm. wants to be a part of it. And Anne Magnuson actually mentioned that to me where she was like, it was this precious world that was sort of untouched. Mm-hmm. And now yeah, it was the same for LA, you know, I had traveled to New York, but uh, and uh, I had traveled to New York and actually in 1977, I went to London. Um, as, you know, <laughs> I wasn't going to miss any of it. And, <laughs> this is happening. I'm going, um, but, um, but, but it was like, but everywhere it, because I did see London, I did see New York, and I did see LA at that time, and and everywhere had their own world. You know, there was you know spiky hair, <laughs> and and uh, and and uh, but the uh, but the creativity was very much um, up to the regions, really. You know, and, and it was all reflective of. of the regions and so in that way it was very very different everywhere and LA had its own world for sure you know and it was probably the most un- underreported of scenes of, of that time you know and um, and I know LA uh, I know some LA people almost everyone the LA people had quite a chip on their shoulder about not being recognized you know but you know as it all comes out in the wash <laughs> today, it's one of the most sought after reviewers. <laughs> Why do you think it was underreported? Well, well, New York is the center of the world, of course, um, and um, and I think there's a, probably just a lot more press there, and uh, and they were the the first to have a lot of um, you know Ramones, Blondie, Patti Smith television there were talking heads there was big bands that instantly became big you know and and you know out of that their punk scene and i think there was probably a scene going on before punk that was just a weirdo scene and that's what they came out of you know um and i think la i, I can't tell you why it was underreported although because it's a major city and a major industry city um, but um, I just think it was overlooked, probably as some kind of 
Johnny come lately sort of thing or who knows? I don't know. It just seems like people, I, I love, I don't mind. Yeah. it seems like people just like shitting on LA and what's going on here in general. And I'm always like, I'll read music reviews of contemporary artists and they'll, certain mm-hmm. periodicals have to take a knock just because it's an LA band. It's like, it, it baffles me because it's like, it's such and, a vibrant, great city. <laughs> oh, it's an incredible city and so much great stuff coming out of it. I mean, uh, you know, are you really going to knock X or, or the gun club or, you know, and what a number of a million of great bands that came out of there. And, um, but I don't know, you know, that's a, it's a strange phenomenon, isn't it? Um, do you think because it's Hollywood, people think, oh, it's just Hollywood? I think you so. Know. I think people you think know. there's such I a... Oh, it's all fake and made up and, you know, it's all, you know, it's... smoking mirrors, you know. I don't think people realize how much of a working class city it is. Like, I think they, there's just, which, when I, I spent a lot of time in Wicker Park in Chicago and I moved to Echo Park when I came here and the similarities to the two neighborhoods and the cities was remarkable to me. I mean, other than I don't have 30 below weather and I get palm trees outside my, (laughs) but I was like, there's this very rich working class. And I think that affects the, you know, I think that ethic goes into the creativity a lot, which people don't uh, give it credit for. And it drives me insane. Yeah. I think that, I think you might be onto that as more socioeconomic <laughs> <laughs> reasons for that. But I think that's completely valid and, and probably true, you know, um, that it's not, it's not for music. Let me, how do I say this? It's not, I'm trying to collect my thought on it, but is New York is seeing the super progressive about music, you know, and, and London as well. Which and they all had super big music support systems of press, you know, Village Voice and East Village Eye and stuff in 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 New York and the Free Press, and then uh, and London they have major major periodicals weekly about music and, and pop shows, you know that around every week, you know, on TV. And so uh, I think LA just probably didn't have that. And that's why when I, I learned a lot just from, you do from underground and there was a fanzine called Backdoor Man run by um, teenagers uh, and um, these, these people and they really had taste in the great, they had underground taste before there was punk, you know, and they were into their essays on juvenile delinquency, and, <laughs> and, uh, and and they were the first to talk about. They knew Patty Smith when she was just doing readings before there was a Patty Smith band, you know. They had I ordered the first television single before anyone knew who were television was through an address they posted in their magazine. So they were they were they kind of brought the news of of underground music and champion the Stooges and MC5 and things like that. And, um, and so, you know, it was, there was underground, but there, and there was hit people, but there, there wasn't a major outlet for it unless the LA times or someone wrote about it like that. When you would buy like a record, like you said, you bought television from that magazine. Were you, 
often buying things blindly? Like, do you just read about it and be like, oh, I should check that out? Because it's like such a different world of finding music than today. Yeah, they would recommend it and they would write, you know, this sounds like they're searching for elevators played backwards or something. <laughs> and, and, and you go, like, I'm buying that, that's for sure. You know, or, or you know, or, yeah, Paraubu, they were saying, like, it's like, if, you know, like, para, oh, it sounds like Black Sabbath after a nuclear bomb. You know? <laughs> uh, okay, I'm buying that for sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, so um, they were good at describing <laughs> what what was, um, but yeah, it was all blind. You know, if you saw a picture and a slight description, it was enough, you know. And you just knew that these people were your tribe. And so really it was just like <laughs> vampire spotting. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one over there, you know. Uh, or, 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 you know but, but that, you know, you just had to take their word for it that they were going to steer you in the right direction. And often they, it was you know, almost always the right direction. When but, you know, it, it was creating a community, you know, and, they, and that helped. I think music people love community, you know, because obviously it's a, a, the rituals of going to concerts and doing things is, you know, a group, a group effort and a group uh, experience. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, even on the smallest level, creating community was incredibly important. I, this, I knew this from, and, and from them, I realized when the Ramones came out, that I that there was all this same. The room when the Ramones first came for their first album, they they played every hole in the wall in every suburb everywhere. They're playing at supermarket openings. They were, you know, they're playing all, you know every small club, and there was a group of people. I would say kids, but it wasn't just kids. But it was like old hippies. It was art, you know, artists. It was you know punk kids, kids, a lot of surfer kids, whatever, you know, there really wasn't a punk then. And, and, uh, and there was all these people following them around. It was kind of like a scene, a crowd scene in Mad Magazine or something. <laughs> people with like steam coming out of their ears, and, you know, light bulb flying out of their head. But, um, but it was, um, you know, it was the people who loved this music and knew they were onto something that something different was happening, and so I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a newsletter for all of these people because we all were starting to keep in contact and exchange phone numbers and send each other postcards and stuff, and, um, and I thought oh, I'm gonna start a, a fanzine and keep in touch with all these people because all these people should keep in touch. So I was really. You know, it was like, oh, I, I need these people to help me know what's going on and have a and have a community. And a lot of those people who were on my mailing list from them are still my friends today, you know, and, and still music fanatics and we're in touch and, and uh yeah, so it was it's a it was community building. When you were because I read about how you would take the bus to Sunset and go to the disco and all that. Where, did you feel like at a young age you were s seeking that place to to land that community? Yeah, definitely. Definitely so. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to be near music. I didn't care what I had to do. <laughs> I just had to do it. <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I wasn't exactly sure how I, I knew I was always knew I was going to be a part of music because I was single-minded about it. And, um, and I had very uh, daydreams and then I had music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reality played very little, uh, very little into my world. Um, yeah. Everyday reality. But um but uh, yes, uh, so I just was looking for something, you know, and I was looking for a community, really. And I was looking to be in in music and near music. And I just couldn't think of any other world for me. I didn't ever thought about being a musician. That was the furthest from my mind, really. You know, I didn't dawn on me to pick up an instrument or something. But um, about... But I did my research and and put myself in the middle of a lot of things, you know. And there was a lot of kids around at that time doing the same thing, and most of them became musicians. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but but that was it. We were it was kind of like going to school, going to you know finding out how everything else worked, and then we were like, oh, maybe we should be musicians, you know. Um, and so it was a little. It was a you know. A, cultivating the the knowledge of what's going on with this and 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 of course having a, a lot of uh, tenacity to think we were we we were the people with the best taste <laughs> <laughs> and we've seen seen a lot of stuff you know but that brought brought me to like when i met jeffrey lee pierce in the you know late 70s early 80s late 70s uh and we were at a Paraubu concert, and um, and he just came up to me and said, "Like you should be in a band with me." And I was like, "Well, I don't do anything." He's like, "Well, you play guitar. I'll just show you how to play guitar." And then it was just like, "Okay, I'm going to do it," <laughs> you know. And 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 we had talked a lot because he had traveled a lot for music too. He was writing for Slash magazine, doing reggae reviews, and he, you know, actually gone to Jamaica to listen to music and seek out things and do a few interviews. And he'd been in New York. He tried to live in New York for a while and get something started there with music, but kind of didn't pan out. Didn't pan out in the three weeks he was there <laughs> uh, it was taking too long so uh you know so so we were we bonded on a kind of one wanderlust of travel for music and then we thought like well we know all these different things like we should just have a band and you know he already had bands and could play guitar and and sing sing so um little i know he was such an amazing songwriter as well you know but uh but his belief in me made it uh was enough you know at that time to say like okay he believes i should do it so i should just do it <laughs> had no one brought that up before or like entertained it with you or no i mean i i you know from when i was in in high school and, and living in uh, La Puente in the suburbs of LA and San Gabriel Valley. I, you know, I had band, a band, friends in bands who had garage bands. Like there was one on my block and I hung around with these kind of older guys and, uh, you know, and they were, 
that I learned a lot from them because they were into like Bowie and not the hoople and different things, you know, and they introduced me to that. And, and I ended up, you know, and, and, and so, um, but, but I always thought, Oh, you know, you need, you need, you need to talent and, uh, the aptitude and it just had not dawned on me i thought i would be a journalist i actually went to los angeles city college and taking journalism classes and um and i thought you know and plus i had been doing fanzines and i was writing for my friend husband gayman has a fanzine called lobotomy at the time and you know so i was doing a like little fanzine writing and and i thought well i could be a journalist and that will put me in music and I can talk about music. And then, uh, when I got, when I started playing music, I was like, Oh, I got to put my money where my mouth is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm this expert and critic. (laughs) Now I'm like mumbling around with this guitar. I don't know how to play. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So kind of, I better learn something, <laughs> you know, about it. Pan out. So. When uh, when someone views you, like when I look at your life, it's like you went and just like you know the Gun Club, the Cramps, and then you know you go to Berlin, and then you're playing with Nick Cave, and it's just like do, do these things or unfold organically? Because that's the way it, it seems. And I'm like, it can't be that oh, charmed and simple. Completely, yeah. It did. I mean, yeah, I, did. Just, I, I just, mean, it was just the right, right place, right time. Um, I want to also, also, I just think, you know, obviously they saw something in me that made them say, I want you to come with me, you know. Um, but the thing is that the gun club, it was a vision of Jeffrey Pierce and myself in the beginning. And, and, um, and that's one thing, you know, we made that together and we made up that whole thing you know it came out of our brains and our and our and whatever we could do at the time and um and then um i learned a little more from that and then i guess the cramp the cramp saw me and then they said well you would be the good person for us <laughs> but, but that was very very much lux and ivy's vision of very totally Lex and Ivy's vision. And I had very little say in the vision, you know, of that. And I didn't dream that up. And um, so I was a player, you know, I was a, you know, a cake decorator. (laughs) (laughs) I got to decorate the cake. (laughs) And uh, and that mean really a lot. And I had to step up my game and learn how to play in front of people. And, you know, and, and be in a band that commanded the audience and, you know, um, and, and, you know, and that's, you can't, you know, experience is what, what you're getting, you know, as you learn that way, you know, trial by fire learning. And, um, and then, so after that, then I rejoined the gun club, you know, when that fell apart and then, uh, and then it was the same. I was like in, living in London. The gun club had moved to London. We decided to move to London and immediately break up. <laughs> for the 20th time, we break up. And then, um, and so I was just around and, um, you know, I'd known the birthday party and, and the bad seeds already and was 
admirer of them. And, uh, and they were in my circle of friends in London. And, um, and they just asked me to go on a tour to fill in for one tour. So I said, like, okay. And I thought, okay, that's going to be that. It's going to be these three weeks and then I'll be, you know, move on, go back to what I'm doing. And, um, and that it just ended up going on for years. <laughs> and that's how that happened, really, you know. But I think it was a matter of being in the right place at the right time, but also that people see, pe people are looking for their own people, you know. You don't let just anyone in your band, you know. You, you, there's a little bit of vetting that goes on, and I think my record spoke for itself, and and hopefully my personality. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always say they needed someone who smiled in that band. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got the job because <laughs> I smile, but um, but but also um, you know for me those opportunities I said yes to them all. You know, I could have said no, or I could have been afraid and not done it, or I could have. Um, Were you ever afraid? Or, or I was f terrified each time. Um, it was it's a terrifying experience because <laughs> to me, well, when I got in the cramps, I was like, I worship the cramps. They are rock stars, supreme, and they are, you know. They are the Beatles to me, you know, to whether they are Beatles is to other people. And, um, and, and so it was like, can I, I don't know. When I, when I joined the cramps, I've been playing guitar for one year. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was like, how am I ever going to learn these three chords, you know, <laughs> that they play all in? Um, <laughs> It was, but I did have to learn a lot, and their songs were more than that. But, um, but, uh, but you know, so it was kind of a, and I saw that they knew. You know, uh, I remember Ivy said, "Like, oh yeah, we always say, get them young, treat them rough." <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. approach your memoir, because like, you obviously have this gigantic life, how do you? Where do you, did, like, how did you decide where to begin? And did that just, like, what the book was going to be repeatedly just change? Because I've tried to write a memoir because I had this a similar childhood, but it was sort of focused on, I found a theater group that I hung around as a teen. And I just can't, maybe I'm just not a writer of that sort, but it's like, it was maddening. And then to relive the tragic parts or the painful parts is just, like typing it's and sobbing. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst thing you can do. But wait till you're done and you read it. <laughs> but I've just like, you know, like you have so many portions of a life to choose from that like your childhood could be a book. Well, that's it. I mean, actually the, it started out, uh, I, I started out, a friend of mine had done, my friend Jonathan Tobin, who had put out a few of my records when I was living in New York, uh, when I started going solo um, after. And uh, he did this uh, exhaustive interview with me. And it was actually a podcast. And this was probably 
2000s. And so it was, and he did an audio version. It was kind of one of the first, it was kind of an audio book online. He put on it, he had a website and, you know, he's, uh, and he, um, but, but what he did was he made a complete exhaustive discography and he interviewed me in this outline kind of way because he was like, Kid Congo, you know I'm doing his voice now. <laughs> you know what? You know, you've done this and you've done that and you've done in the cramps and you lived in Berlin, you did all these things. But people don't know that you've done all these things. They know they know this part of you, they know the gun club part of you, they know the Nick Cave part of you, but they don't know all of it. So he took it upon himself to do this. And after he did that, I thought, this is an outline for a book. It'd be great. I can just fill in a few stories and we'll be done. And um, 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, um, and it changed several times while I was writing it, you know. But I went in, I went in with this, maybe this will help you. Um, I went in with this attitude of like, I have no idea what this book's going to be about, but it's going to tell me at the end what it's about. And I think a lot of writers do say that. Um, and, uh, and, and, but I kept that in mind all the time. Like, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Like there's a story here somewhere, but also it was, a. and then, um, I talked to, uh, uh, my friend Lydia lunch. And she was saying like, I was like, how do you do all these things? And you write these books and you're, constantly putting, doing this and she's like well I know my I always try to think of myself within my culture and I'm like oh smart thinking and also she's and she told me when she finally wrote an actual autobiography she said yeah you know you just have to pick out what are the major parts and um, the major parts are not up to what's the famous parts. It's like what to you in your life are your major events. And, um, and so that was very helpful. And so, you know, there's a, a lot I, 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 that's not in there, you know, and there's, and um, I'm going to have to write an apology because <laughs> there's people who are super close to me in events that were really big, but they didn't make it into the book. You know, um, but because you have to choose and then what it is. And then luckily for me, uh, Larry Hardy, who's putting my book out, um, uh, let me choose my editor. And I, I've been using this guy, Chris Campion, as a kind of sounding board all along the way. He was kind of mentoring me. He's a writer as well. And um, so he, um, he, uh, was my sounding board for a lot of things. I'd send some pages to him and say, this is something. And then I, I went to a lot of um, workshops, writing workshops. And I um, went to one, when I was living in DC, I went to one place that was really great. Uh, it's called the Writer Center and a lot of writers workshop there and, and te they have great teachers. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to, I mean, I have a lot of stuff here and I took it there and I thought, you know, it's peer reviewed. And, and, and I thought there's a lot of these people, they don't know who I am. They don't know about my music life or what, you know, or anything. And I just want to see, is there a story here? 
because I can't tell if there's a story here. So it was a crap to me. <laughs> and, you know, so much of different stories that make no sense. And, um, and then uh, I, um, so they were very, that was helpful because they were like, oh yeah, this is really about the times and I remember this time and blah, 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 blah. So I thought, okay, I'm okay on the right track here. And, um, and you know, there was, yeah, just lots of things like that. So it was a lot in, in it was incremental and, and I, you know, just was willing to do the work of, of seeing that. And, um, and it wasn't, and, and I was also in, very influenced by this book. Um, by, do you know who Cookie Mueller is? No. Part of the John Waters. Oh, yes, 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 I do, yes. And, uh, and she died of AIDS in the later 80s. And, uh, but she wrote these amazing books that were, uh, especially this one called, what's it called? Something like Walking Through a Clear Pool Painted Black, um, but it was a, a collection of essays and stories just about her and her antics. And you really got to know her through all these crazy yarns she spins for different times in her life. And you really got a sense of her. And I thought, oh, I want my book to be like this, you know? And, um, and so it started out being a coming of age book. And then everyone was like, you have to write about you know, I'm not going to stop when I started playing music. Was, <laughs> no one's going to want to talk about that. Like, but these people in the, my peer review said they wanted to hear it. Um, <laughs> but, but but then I thought, okay, I have to go do more. So then that turned into something, the book turned into something else again. And so there was a metamorphosis, you know, a Kafka-esque experience. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any moments that you were uh, scared to reveal where you or, or surprised that you even discovered? A lot. There's a lot because, like I said, there's there's you know painful and dramatic and traumatic stuff in in the book, you know, because that what hap- that's what happens in your life, and um, you know, and 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 it was a lot of it I kind of skimmed over I'd write about it skimmed over and that's where the editor came in really good because he's like there's way more to this than what you're saying <laughs> fuck <laughs> <laughs> you know and he, he'll pull pull it out of me and um, yeah and like I said every time I got super uncomfortable I was like oh, I have to go on tour for a year <laughs> you know? so it was a lot of putting, it was a lot of putting it down and coming back to it as well and um but you know in the end I feel like it was it was so worth it you know it was and I'm really glad I took a long time to do it and I'm really glad that it changed over time because I'm really I'm quite pleased with the result and it's getting a a really good response from people who have uh, been reading it um and and it is w- really weird to read about your life as one story <laughs> to me my life is just a bunch of fragmented shit all over flying all over the world and universe you know but to read it as one story it was it was it was remarkable you know and uh and that was what it told me you have had a remarkable time you know? 
<laughs> and it's a, it's a real it's a real miracle you're alive. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer and with Kid Congo. Remember, part two of this episode lives on my Patreon, so become a Patreon subscriber and listen to the rest of this conversation and lots of other bonus material. Go to thematdwyer.com and get to that Patreon. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.